Hello, and welcome to Untapped, Syrup for the Soul, a podcast for people who love learning through analogies, parables, metaphors, and symbolism found in everyday experiences. I am your host, Angie Hunter, and I can't wait to share how the seemingly simple in life can become profound, the mundane miraculous, and the ordinary extraordinary. Let's tap in. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and sharing the podcast. After the launch, I'm so grateful for all the support and feedback I've had over the last few days. It makes me super excited to create new content to share with you each week. In the last episode, we learned the different responses, often unintentional, to our emotions. This week's episode, The Toddler, teaches us how to identify the need under the emotions once we have opened the door of awareness to them. Let's tap in. I have had the pleasure and struggle of raising four children through their toddler years. I love the toddler years and how curious and adorable they can be, the funny things they say and do. But the flip side of that is how difficult it can be as they start to learn how to navigate their own emotions. I was talking to a friend one day who had heard um, the thought that children still feel emotions as intensely as we do, just in a much smaller body. And we both kind of found that like mind-boggling and it kind of changed our vision of that. Can you imagine how all-encompassing that must feel? No wonder children act out in ways that seem irrational to us. All that emotion cruising through such a tiny body. I have a large body that allows emotions lots of room to roam, and I still struggle to control them. It really puts it into perspective and perhaps even enables us to have more patience for them when we understand this. Have you ever witnessed a a toddler tugging on a parent's pant leg? I have had this happen to me on many occasions. Mom, mom, mom. If you're distracted and don't immediately acknowledge the child, what happens? Well, typically they get louder. If you continue to ignore them, sometimes they resort to hitting, biting, screaming, or throwing themselves into a full-blown tantrum on the floor. However, If you look at them, get down on their level, call them by name, and ask them what they need, oftentimes the worst of it can be avoided. Not always, but a lot of the time. The child just wants our attention. They have a need, and sometimes they are just not sure how to express it and meet it. In an effort to do this, they conclude that negative attention is still attention, and they will take what they can get. We have all seen that kid at the grocery store, right? The one on the, in the middle of the aisle on the ground screaming, I want this, I want that, you won't let me have it, right? Instead of judging the parent or the child, now that we know what we know about emotions, we might conclude, look at that child trying to deal with all those huge emotions in that small body. Look at them trying to meet their own needs good for them. Then we can just smile an empathetic smile in the direction of the parent and walk on knowing that we all 
feel emotions and they all feel huge to each and every one of us. Our emotions are a lot like toddlers. They raise their voice, so to speak, when they have a need. If we ignore them, they tug on our pant leg. But we are often so distracted and so busy by everything going on in our lives that we don't even notice the pull. So they do what they have to do to get noticed. They bubble up inside of us and grow more intense. Any attention is better than no attention. Perhaps they bite us with physical ailments as a final attempt to get us to acknowledge them. I was recently with a client who had been feeling an incredible amount of stress. And as a result, um, she had, had gotten these terrible canker sores and also a rash as well as extreme headaches. And so that was a physical manifestation of that stress, trying to talk to her, trying to express something that she needed. My four-year-old will often yell at me to get my attention. It drives me batty. I don't want him to come to me, or sorry, I want him to come to me instead of screaming at me from the other room. If I don't rush to his side, inevitably the cries grow louder. I'm embarrassed to admit that my go-to response is often, what? In a very annoyed tone. I'm thirsty, he replies. So I ask him, what do you need? The rhetorical answer, I need water, he states. Then I ask him how he can get water. In other words, how can he meet that need for himself? He loudly stomps into the kitchen, gets a cup, slams the cupboard door shut, and fills the cup with water from the fridge. He's four years old, and he can meet some of his own needs, even if he's mad about it. There are some needs that he might not be able to meet yet, but I see the benefit to helping him learn how to do that at a younger age. You see, he really wanted me to meet the need for him, and I often do, but I also have recognized the importance of both children and adults identifying their own need and gaining the confidence that they are capable of meeting those needs for themselves. It is super beneficial and a sign of emotional adulthood when we can take responsibility for our own emotions and meet our own needs instead of blaming or expecting other people to do it for us. Addressing the toddler by name helps them hear that they have been recognized, and so it is with emotions. We are often super limited in our emotional vocabulary. I often find that naming the feeling or emotion is the most difficult part for my clients and for myself. We tend to use very general statements like, oh, I'm good, I'm bad, I'm mad, or sad, or smad, as I like to say, if you're feeling both sad and mad together. Do yourself and your kids, your grandkids, your students, all the people you come in contact with a favor by increasing your emotional vocabulary because in turn, it helps them to increase theirs and get a better understanding 
and communicate more effectively with you. There are so many free resources and lists online. Like you can just type in um, emotional vocabulary lists or words for emotions or helps for kids in identifying their emotions. You'll find a ton of stuff. Print one out and start working on it. It isn't very fun to get called by the wrong name. Has that ever happened to you? It's kind of annoying sometimes, right? You don't want to offend the emotion by calling it by the wrong name. Really reach to find the true identity. It'll take some practice, but you'll get better at it. Trust me. Next, sometimes the toddler will tell you how they feel, but oftentimes you will have to observe it. Perhaps the crying means they are feeling sad. Maybe the tantrum means they are feeling frustrated. These physical manifestations help you to guess what emotion they might be experiencing. The same is true for you. We may not always have such an obvious outward expression of the emotion because we've learned how to regulate it or suppress it or avoid it or shove it down or whatever. Therefore, we must become curious and find it in our body. This is a very intentional act and we rarely take the time or the effort to do it, to do this, but it's super useful. So, um, when we become curious, we look for the physical manifestation of that emotion. For many of my clients, for example, anxiety is found in their tummy, chest, head, or throat. Keying in on the where is powerful. It is the same as bending down and getting on the same level as the toddler. Describing what it feels like helps to make the abstract nature of the emotion more tangible. An effective way to do this is to compare it to something else. For instance, my clients often liken anxiety to butterflies or worms in the tummy or sadness to a heavy rock in their chest or throat. This practice of describing the emotion raises our emotional intelligence and self-awareness. If you're struggling to find some comparison of what it's like, think of what it's not like and go from that. It is good to take some deep breaths at this point, just as we might attempt to calm the toddler by holding them or shushing them or rocking them or singing to them. Breathing signals our parasympathetic nervous system to calm us, to slow things down. Then, when we've entered that calmer headspace, where the brain is capable of reasoning and learning again, we ask the emotion the same question we ask the toddler. What do you need? I like to also include, why are you here? So, for instance, if it were sadness, I would actually say the words, sadness, why are you here? I believe that a loving God would never have given us negative emotions just purely to make us suffer. No, the plan was much more kind and compassionate than that. He gave them to us as the ultimate balancer. They are here to tell us when we have tipped the scales, so to speak, to tell us when something is askew or amiss, to remind us of a need we have. 
to teach us that everything has its equal and opposite. The fact that our emotions work so hard to do this is evidence of a caring and empathetic creator who wanted us to have a measure, a way to tell when something needed to change. If you are someone who experiences deep sadness, the good news is that you therefore have the capacity to feel deep joy. When the pendulum swings in one direction, it can also go equally as far in the opposite direction. When we see perceived negative emotions as messengers of need instead of villains out to get us, we create a strong relationship with all our emotions. You no longer need to avoid, resist, or react to them because they're not there to try and hurt you. They're there to try and help you. Therefore, you can befriend them, even thank them, listen to them, and ultimately use them to your benefit. If you are struggling to identify the need, connect to your inner child. When a toddler is sad, what is the need? Often, it is comfort and love. So follow that up with, how can I meet my need for comfort and love in this moment? What would be the most comforting and loving thing I could do for myself right now? Then do that thing. When we ask our brain questions, it wants to come up with answers. It is just what a brain does. It can't help itself. Tap into that superpower you have. Don't be surprised by your answer. Once the answer I got was to let my brain throw the fit it wanted to throw, like a toddler. I I wanted to let myself stomp or scream or be mad, to be bitter, to be angry, and tear up pieces of paper or whatever it might be, whatever that throwing a fit might look like for you. I just let myself do it because I wasn't moving on from it. It was like my brain was waiting for me to actually react. So once I did, then I asked my brain very intentionally, are you done yet? (laughs) Can we move on from this yet? And then I literally sat there and waited for the answer. Like I wasn't expecting a yes. I was expecting whatever it wanted to tell me and I was going to go with whatever that was. So then if my brain said, no, I'm not done yet, I continued to let myself throw a little fit. And mind you, this was not like, I don't know, hurting anyone else or in public. I just did it on my own. But eventually your brain's like kind of surprised by you listening to it, actually. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I am done. (laughs) I guess we're done here. And so then I was able to move on. It seemed surprised by my reaction. It kind of took all the steam out of it. And then we just went forward. We created space for the actual need that I had. The first need was to throw the fit. The next need was to create space for something new. As you consistently work to meet the need under the emotion, 
it develops trust within yourself. This is huge. This is like the biggest thing for my clients is when they gain this trust with with their body and their spirit and their emotions and their physical selves and their soul. And when it comes together and this relationship of trust is built, then the body doesn't have to scream and bite and hit and kick to get your attention. It just trusts you. It's like she, they, this person knows what to do with emotion. I don't need to, to throw out all the stops. It knows that you've got its back, literally. Emotions don't have to get out of control and they can serve the purpose they were always meant for to help us to connect and communicate both to ourselves and to others. When we get good at doing it for ourselves, it becomes a lot easier to give that same grace, patience, and understanding to other people. May we all more intentionally tap into the message our emotions have for us. As we do, it will bring much needed syrup for the soul. Until next time, have an amazing week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and think someone else could benefit from it too, please share it. If you would like to take this work deeper and need help accessing your personal syrup for the soul, reach out. I'm a life coach and can teach you tools that will help you untap what is already inside of you. Email me at syrup, the number four, the soul at gmail.com or find me on social media. Much love, syrup for the soul.